today and in the past, we haven't been super interested in building the consumer side of the brand. And the primary reason here is we think that there's an insane amount of value that OTAs bring to the host side, right? Um, we believe Airbnb is an incredible value for hosts in terms of it's what really it costs to acquire that customer, the protections that come with it, um, the platform, the reviews, the scalability, the natural uh, platform effects that come with it. And so while there is a value in building a brand, I think a lot of people underestimate the costs and direction and businesses and the business need of developing a brand, uh, especially when you're not building something like, like super unique. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Sif Kafagi, co-founder of TechVestor, one of the hottest new services that allows folks to passively invest in short-term rentals. Sif has spent his entire career working in tech and helped scale one of Facebook's largest engineering organizations from just a couple hundred people to thousands of people across the world. It was during his time at Facebook where he met his now co-founder Sabrina, who owned a couple of Airbnbs. Sif was shocked by how successful her short-term rentals were that he asked Sabrina if he could just give her money to go buy and operate his own STRs. And while he couldn't have known it at the time, this ask would be the seed of the idea, which would ultimately blossom into TechVestor. Today, TechVestor owns and operates nearly 100 short-term rentals in some of the country's most desirable vacation markets. Tune in to hear the story of how Seif helped to build TechVestor, why TechVestor is bullish on single-family homes, what their secret sauce to sourcing, designing, and launching SDRs looks like, the opportunities he sees to build new tech and new businesses in the space, and his hot takes on the future of travel and hospitality. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet Seif. All right, Seif, we are live, dude. How are you doing on this fine morning? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, the weather is cool here and sunny. So not, I, I mean, I don't know what it's like in LA today, but I imagine it is also probably cool and, and sunny at this moment. You know, looking out the window, it's uh, it's pretty much right on the money. So it okay. uh, looks like we'll both have good days today. Dude, so happy, happy Monday to us both. <laughs> yeah, happy Monday to us both. Uh, well, dude, I have... I'm just really excited for this conversation because I have followed the TechVestor story for a while now, and, and actually primarily through Taylor Jones' like Twitter account, uh, and just he, you know seeing him share a lot about, about what you guys are up to, how you're thinking about this this the market right now, how you're thinking about short-term rentals as, as an asset class. You guys are doing some really cool, innovative work. So selfishly, I've just been excited to hear a little bit more from from you as, as one of the co-founders of TechVestor, like what you guys are up to, what opportunities you see in this space and, and what you're building for for the future. But I was hoping you could kind of kick us off by just going back to the beginning. Like where where does the story of TechVestor actually start? 
Yeah, so it starts with the experience that we uh, had with really poor Airbnbs, like most other people who get into the world of Airbnbs and hospitality. Um, but for me specifically, I spent a lot of time working in big tech, primarily at Facebook, where I spent about five years. And uh, my job specifically was to recruit talent, hmm. you know, convince them to come work for Facebook. But that was ultimately the easy part. Hmm. Right. You know, Facebook brand name, free food, great compensation, huge growth time uh, for the company. The bigger challenge was convincing a family of, say, four people in the Midwest, somewhere to call it like uh, Dayton, Ohio, to move from Dayton, Ohio to Facebook, New York. Hmm. And they were like, everything looks great. Just what's our life going to look like? Hmm. And so when we opened up new markets, you know, part of my job and challenge was to curate the experience for the candidates, which ironically is kind of just like curating the experience for a guest. Yeah. And what we would do is we would stay in single family homes for a week at a time for about six weeks, testing out what it's like to live in New York, what it's like to live in Boston, what it's like to live in, you know, X city. And that way we can better curate what we share with candidates, how we onboard them, how we, when we fly them out and oftentimes their families, when we try to close them, it's, you know, how do we land that, that top tier talent? And when I was saying these Airbnbs and these single family homes, I was like, wow, these are really horrible, (laughs) (laughs) you know, for a multitude of reasons, right? It wasn't the neighborhood. We try out different neighborhoods from time to time. It was the house and primarily you walked in and the instant feeling you had is you wanted to walk right out, Hmm. right? It wasn't inviting. It was just kind of like dull and boring. And I'm like, why would anyone stay here for this price point? Right. Especially like a three or a four bedroom house. Cause that's kind of what we were testing out given that people who were recruiting were, you know, typically folks who had families and other, and other significant partners. And so, um, I would end up meeting Sabrina. She was working at Apple at the time, um, and she was lead project manager for AirPods, right? So she brought that whole billion dollar project kind of together from end to end. Wow. And, you know, in San Francisco, she was a little bit of a unicorn as was I, because we were both young and in tech, but also interested in real estate. And we were both, uh, investors in multifamily and some other asset classes, but we were also often the youngest and she was a female in a tech dominant, male dominant, male dominant in the real estate world as well. Where yeah. she, you know, it, there wasn't, there wasn't many like Sabrina as many would call it. And I'm excited to see how that continues to pick up pace. But, you know, when we were, would connect, she told me she owned a couple of Airbnbs and I was like, hold on, tell me why Airbnb sucks. Right. <laughs> and she was like, well, they're not, they're not supposed to. And so fun fact, I actually threw money at Sabrina. I was like, Hey, how about you help me buy a couple Airbnbs? Cause she showed me how much money she was making. And I was like off of that one condo. And she was like, yeah, I was like, teach me, show me, walk me through it. Tell me how it goes. Um, all in the whole, she told me no. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, okay, well, how can we work together to do this anyway? So we started to build software because I wanted to identify the best possible properties to buy as Airbnbs for myself. And I wanted to buy about six, seven or eight. Um, and you know, I'd done well for myself at Facebook, single guy living in the Bay, like with five other dudes in a house, like my rent was like 1400 a month at the time, you know? And I was like, I'm just going to buy a bunch of real estate because taxes suck, you know, and Airbnbs. And, you know, from there kind of got the first iteration of, of our software and we started selling that software to users and it was going pretty well until they would find a property and then they would leave, hmm. turn, 
Yeah. Uh, churn and software don't go well together. <laughs> and so uh, we quickly blossomed and re- repositioned our, our product into a managed service, meaning we'd use our own tool, charge a higher service fee, essentially, um, and just help you find your, your ideal property. And we'd also do the work for you, the hmm. design, the management, right? Kind of like a DIY done for you in a box type product. And that went well. We did about a million, a million and a half in rev um, in a short period of time. And we were like, okay, like maybe we're onto something. And then when we were on a Zoom uh, similar to this, we had all our existing and first initial clients were like kind of almost like jealous or the grass is greener on the other side. They were like, Zach, wow, your property is gorgeous. I wish I had a piece of that. Hmm. You know, hey, can I come use it? They were all describing what's known as a syndication or a portfolio of properties. Yeah. And yet they all had the same goal, which was own Airbnbs, but don't do any of the work. That yeah. was the main pain point that everyone kind of shared. And so we said, hey, well, what if we rolled all these properties into a portfolio? Um, and, you know, we would just, it'd be easier for us because we'd manage one to many instead of one to one, right? It'd be more scalable. Yeah. And everyone went forward in a heartbeat. And we're like, okay, interesting. So about three days later, we'd launched to um, a few, you know, a couple hundred friends and family and, um, you know, some colleagues that we've known over the years. And within 30 days, we brought in about $7 million of equity. Wow. Um, being like, yeah, like I want to do this, but you've find someone's finally addressed this pain point, which is I don't want to do the work, but yeah. I want to get into this asset cost. I want to get exposure. I want the cash flow. I want to be able to use these assets. And so, that was kind of the first iterations of what TechFester would be today. And, and today we've obviously gone and expanded to, you know, over 120 properties, you know, 10 plus markets and, um, you know, a little over 60 some million dollars in equity raised. But that were, that was the initial kind of foundation of what TechFester became today. Wow. That's such an incredible story. Just, just for the sake of like our listeners to timeline here, like, this this sec this next chapter this current iteration of TechVestor uh, how how long have we have we been in it? Yeah, so Sabrina and I really kind of we remember we came together in Los Angeles in July of 2021, give okay. or take, and uh, we whiteboarded what TechVestor would be, and that was um, the software product, and okay. we iterated quickly. So we went from software product in July to bond trial in by October, November. So you're talking about a hundred days we pivoted Jeez. three times. Jeez. Um, and I mean, we were, we were all about just product market fit, product market yep. fit from day one. So it was like, boom, we had a little bit of traction with software. Okay. Pivot. Boom. We did seven figures in revenue with, you know, a, a, a done for you box style. Many people would say that would have been product market fit, yeah. but we were continuously trying to iterate the pain point. And then we boom pivoted right into this portfolio, this fun style and this passive option. And uh, that's where we felt a, the value was really there and the business model really started to come together where scale would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So very, very like recent, <laughs> like this is not like, this wasn't over the course of like five years or anything like that. Yeah. That's, no. that's impressive, man. So I, I'm curious if, in terms of the tooling, right? The software that you, that you all were developing, how did it compare to like something like an air DNA, like their core offering? Like, was it wildly different? Was it, was it, was it quite similar? Like, can you talk to us a little bit about the differences? Yep. So first and foremost, I think AirDNA is a fantastic tool. Uh, Scott's an advisor, Jamie's an advisor, um, and they're they're fantastic folks over there. Um, and we're we're users of the tool, um, but we don't compete with AirDNA. In fact, where we or the tool that we were building yeah. was primarily around discovery, mm. right? So with AirDNA, the way it works, right, for the for the average consumer is they have a property, oftentimes, 
and they, you know, rentalizer is one of their most common tools where someone goes, they plug in an address that tells you what it can do as an Airbnb. Maybe you can research markets and it'll tell you like market averages and those yep. types of things. For us, it was about how can we map physical real estate supply, basically what's coming on market and then how could we math underwrite those as potential Airbnbs so we knew if they made viable Airbnb opportunities, basically how could we underwrite at scale? Yeah. And so today we underwrite over a hundred thousand properties a month, Jeez. right? Where, you know, across 250 some local markets where we have an interest in. And that's really what our tool was is, you know, we can plug in a market and say, we're interested in, uh, you know, this market specifically. And every single time a property came on, it would automatically underwrite. We'd know everything about it. We'd pull in data from places like AirDNA as well as other data sources. And therefore it'd help us understand, does it make sense or not? And fun fact, 94% of the time, the deal sucked. Yeah. So it saves you that time to kind of figure out, you know, what you want to buy and why. And the reason we built it that way is we wanted to buy, you know, eight of them. Yeah. Right? The yeah. average consumer isn't trying to buy eight. There yeah. wasn't a tool, you know, out on the marketplace that existed for that type of use case. Brilliant. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you uh, distilling the differences there. Yo, friends, I want to interrupt this episode for just a few minutes to share this quick story with you. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard me talk about Minoan, a completely free platform to purchase everything that you need for your short-term rental. Well, the Minoan team has been a huge, huge supporter of Behind the Stays, and so I asked them if I could interview a few of their customers to get the inside scoop on their honest thoughts about the platform, and they agreed. So have a listen to the following quick story to better understand how Minoan works, how it compares to other offerings in the space, and why so many STR owners and operators trust Minoan to help them furnish their Airbnbs. So Allison, I want to hear the story of how your hosting journey got started. Sure. So I initially got into hosting short-term rentals because I thought it would just be a more fun type of real estate investment. But my background is actually in healthcare and human resources. And what I very quickly discovered is that it was a really cool way to leverage my service-oriented experience in a new way. And I have just fallen in love with it. And being able to be a part of creating really cool memories for people. And you have a new business that you recently launched called, called Smart Stays. And you want to just tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about Smart Stays? I'd love to. So I am actually co-hosting properties for other vacation rental owners or just homeowners in general that are either not using their home, want to turn it into a midterm rental, a, a short-term rental, and uh, doing that in addition to managing my own properties. And I think it's just, for me, an easy way for me to help people maximize their investments and have a really good experience in the process. I love it. So Allison, I, I want to hear a little bit about how you first were introduced to to Minoan. Where did you first hear about them, if, if you can remember? I listened to every podcast you can imagine, and I heard th about them on Thanks for Visiting. And so I very quickly um, did some research and was super excited about it. I also, somebody in one of my Facebook groups was talking about it and shared the referral code. And so, you know, I was like, you know, what do I have to lose? It's free to sign up, which I think is also just like amazing that it's free to sign up. So I signed up and um, little did I know how much that would really just help me in my journey in setting up a property, but it's been such a game changer for me. We were actually setting up one of my properties in Virginia and had a terrible time with, with deliveries. It's a little bit remote and so it was very challenging and we had to actually cancel three of the four bedroom furnitures and we were trying to launch on time and I was very stressed about it. 
But what I love about Minoan is they're so responsive. And so I quickly got on chat and was like, here's my issue. What do I do? And I, I met the most amazing person, Sage, and she helped me figure out how we were going to get some furniture, which honestly ended up way better. We got these amazing article beds and matching dressers and they look phenomenal. And um, they came on time. In fact, I think one of them came early. And so that was just one small experience for me of like, when you really need help in short-term rentals, you need it fast. Like no one wants to wait a month to launch <laughs> their property if they don't have to. And so that was one way for me that I think I became a loyal customer, just getting that help when you needed it. I actually first belonged to, and I still do, another like group purchasing organization for vacation rentals and short-term rentals. And I, that you have to pay to be part of that, that particular organization. And I would say that it's fine. I think what sets Minoan apart for me is the service and the access to real people. So I actually had quite a few issues placing orders with companies. And so that group purchasing organization served as a middle ground, but they didn't actually help me resolve my issues. And it was incredibly frustrating. And so the real reason I still belong to it is because the discounts are good, but I would, I'm always going to check first to see what Minoan has available because of the responsiveness. Basically any time of day, if you send a chat, you're going to get a response. If you call, someone's going to help you. I would also say like the feature to make things shoppable is pretty cool. And I didn't leverage that immediately, which is a regret because I actually get questions where people say, where'd you get this couch? Where'd you get this bed from? And so that's on my to-do list. And they have designers they can connect you with. As you kind of grow and and you continue to expand your business, like what are what are the next 12 to 24 months gonna look like for, for Smart States? Like, do you have a do you have a specific like goal of, of where you wanna be over the next one to two years? Absolutely. So for me, it's really just about helping more owners. It's growing my own portfolio in terms of what I want to buy, but it's also helping more owners. I think that unfortunately, you know, there's kind of a bad rap about what it means to be in our industry. And I think that it feels good to be part of the group that's doing it right and doing it well. And so I want to continue to do that for others. And so grow with managing for others, growing my own portfolio and just showing people what's possible. That's what I'm really excited about in terms of what's next. Allison, I am so thankful for you and your time. If you are listening to this conversation and you think Allison might be a good fit to partner with for a project that you're working on, we'll go ahead and have her website and her contact info linked in the show notes below. So you can go on, reach out to her and check out Smart Stays. Follow her on Instagram. Uh, anywhere else, uh, Allison, that you'd want to send folks to? Yeah, definitely on Instagram. I'm Allison Loves R-E-I and that's Allison with a Y. So A-L-Y-S-O-N Loves R-E-I. They can follow me there too. Wonderful. All right, Allison, thank you so much for your time. All right, folks, so you just heard about how great Minoan is, and again, it is totally free. So as soon as this episode is over, head on over to the link in the show notes below and create your free Minoan account. And when you do so, be sure to tell them that Zach from Behind the Stays sent you their way. All right, guys, back to the episode we go. One of the questions I just want to selfishly ask you as somebody who's worked in tech um, for, for, for a while now is, Airbnb obviously, you know, took off in in 2008. I, I think they like their first big. I think Brian Chesky talks about sort of like they had like three launches or something like that, right? And one of their launches was around the the I believe it was like the presidential um, the Iowa caucus uh, back when Obama was was running in, in 08, and they got a bunch of traction. I think they got a bunch of press, and then you know things collapsed. Anyways, they they've been around for for a while now right um and they've obviously you know grown and become mainstream over probably the last 
five to to seven years is is really where where they've they've picked up. They are now you know seen as obviously the, the leading OTA, but beyond that, just they've really focused on these curated experiences, these unique stays. Right, COVID was really tough for them, and then really great for them. And what what I am curious about is why has it taken? Why do you think it's taken so long for like institutional capital to like find its way into the short term rental space? Like. Again, Airbnb's been on the scene for for a while. Why why has it taken as long as it has? I mean, in short, uh, two two things. Um, it's hard and it's local, mm. right? Um, and for institutions that doesn't vet the thesis of deployment of capital, right? Because unallocated capital doesn't yield capital, yeah. right? Um, in fact, it burns capital, and that's a big problem institutions have. And you know, while many people might identify that as a first world problem, as they say, where, you know, if I'm BlackRock or Blackstone and, you know, I'm, I'm running a, you know, a trillion dollar fund or yeah. whatever you want to call it, right? Some large number, I have to find ways to allocate it, right? And in, in the world of short-term rentals, you can't just go simply and pick up a portfolio of 300 short-term rentals in a market or across the country today in a singular transaction. Yeah. Um, and it really easily, you can't really do that. Yeah. Right. Um, and these, and not to mention what makes Airbnbs really profitable oftentimes are the things that don't scale, hmm. meaning buying the right property in the right market with the right amenities, with the right structure. And that's what we found through our data, right? Is if you're going to be entering a market, whether it's like Scottsdale or somewhere in Florida or a beach town or mar- a mountain town, you know, oftentimes the data will tell us that it's ideal to own a certain type of product yeah. in a certain part of that market. Hmm. And so unless you can buy 300 of that specific type of product in a singular transaction, institutions become turned off by the lack of scale. And hmm. so that's actually a problem that we're solving is, you know, and we've had tons of interest from institutions already where they'll come to us and say, this is really interesting. We've been looking for something like this, but we haven't had the opportunity to buy it. Yeah. Right. Cause no one said, Hey, here's a hundred or a thousand short term rentals to enter the space. And that's one of many options, right? They can obviously build it, but yeah. I think we see a lot of institutions have a lot more interest in buying a stabilized portfolio than taking the time to build the blocks sure. of the portfolio. Right. And so that I think is a huge reason there's, there's mass interest in, in from the institutional side, especially from venture on supplying tools and infrastructure for the Airbnb economy. Yeah. Right. You have these venture backed companies, you have um, tooling and pricing and all those types of things, but the real estate itself is brick by brick. Yeah. Buying the right product and lending is tough. Design is tough. Hyper local management is tough. Right. And so those are types of things that turn off institutions. Ultimately, for us, we're building a short-term rental operating system that allows us to kind of go through and do all those types of things at scale. And I think over time, we've already started seeing it a little bit, institutions will certainly make their way into the space, Yeah. although we believe we have a bit of time ahead of us, but we'll be primed and ready for that opportunity. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? And just given how, how dynamic different markets are, especially especially sort of like secondary and tertiary markets that aren't, aren't well known as like vacation markets, which are actually some of the markets where you see short-term rentals like exploding and and doing and doing really really well are these like maybe you know quote unquote like non-traditional markets, um, and yet that 
from from uh, from a venture perspective, uh, as an example, a little bit harder to to, to wrap your hands around, right? And, and to be able to make sense of that at scale. So that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. When you guys have thought about, you have do you have one fund right now, or are you guys in the process of building a second fund? Like where where, where are you at in terms of um, you have 120 properties? But talk to us about are all those 120 wrapped up into into one fund currently? Yeah, so we're on our second fund, okay. um, and so our, our thesis or our strategy really is to build a diversified portfolio each year, okay. each calendar year, give or take. Um, and so we'll launch a new offering each year, and then you know build that into a 30, 50, 80 property portfolio. And the reason we do that is really ultimately diversification. Um, you know, there's some business strategy and some LTV and CAC, you know, modeling on the back end for why we do those types of things. Um, and also evergreen becomes a lot harder to sell hmm. to an investor because there, there's really like no end in sight. Yeah. Um, and so while we're positioned and able and willing to hold really infinitely and forever, um, we do plan to have those exits as you kind of underwrite for. So we're currently on fund two and each year we'll, we'll launch fun, uh, a new fund. So fund three will likely come in 2024. Okay. Amazing. And do you have any strategic difference in, in fund one and fund two, like whether it's property or unit type or, 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 or market, or is it, is it more or less the same? So we have our core markets are the same. Okay. Um, and we have one differentiating market that we've entered in fund two that we didn't have in fund one. And now it's just because we were finally comfortable with the data, right? We mark, we market map cities and countries and towns and locations really months and months, if not years at times before we ever really enter it to feel comfortable with what the data looks like. Sure. Um, but the biggest difference I would say between fund one and fund two is knowledge actually, right? So what the each fund benefits from the fund that came before it because you have first level data of what works and what didn't as right. Hmm. You can easily go and, you know, in fund two, what we've seen is it took us about, I want to say eight months to reach a hundred thousand dollar month in fund one, yeah. it took us three months in fund two. Wow. Yeah. Right? Um, and the reason for that is you start to identify what's working, what's not working. Your operational infrastructure is 10 times better. You've already made the mistakes that you've made in fund one. You're not going to make them again. Right. Um, and you start to continue to get better and better and better. And so those learnings and those nuggets and those locations and those vendors and those contractors and that pricing strategy and everything that you knew that worked from yeah. fund one bleeds right into fund two. And we expect that to continue fund after fund after fund. They'll all benefit from one another over time. Got it. Got it. But in terms of like property type, like I think when I was talking to Taylor's been on the podcast a couple times and he I don't want to misquote him, but I believe like a single family home is, is sort of like the the core uh, short term rental that, that you all focus on. OK, so there's no like huge variance in like fund two is now tree houses or, or, or something like that. If anything, it's more so in X market, maybe we'll double down on buying this type of unit, meaning like a four bedroom single family instead of a three bedroom or a five bedroom, right? Got it. Like we better identify supply and demand metrics, but ultimately we're believers in single family is the better option, primarily because you can automatize yeah. in that type of capacity rather than say like your condo or your multifamily type unit. And while we have an interest in developing in the future, those things like tree houses, um, that's a completely different game when you yeah. get into the world of developing. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I do have a, a couple of questions for you around like the management side of things. So it's also my understanding that you guys, you guys manage these, these properties yourselves, right? Like you aren't, you're not, you know, relying on a, a third party to do that. Is that correct? 
Correct. We're okay. vertically integrated. We manage all in-house. Wow. Okay. And in terms of the guest experience, like if I'm going to book one of your properties, I, am I, am, do I think I'm like talking to TechFester? Is it, do you guys have like a, an individual, like do you, is one of your team members, like the host profile on it, on Airbnb, for instance, or, or like, how does that work? Yeah. So uh, everything we do is all catered around the guest experience, right? So uh, when you're booking with us, you're booking with Sabrina. Okay. And the reason that that's important to us is um, every house that we do is ultimately very unique and very local. Yep. And that's a huge, you know, shout out to our design team or ops team uh, for bringing that house in that local environment. And the things that we do there are not things we do in every single market. So you're booking with Sabrina. Um, it's it's managed by Sabrina and her team because today we only manage properties we own. So it's really easy to make that distinction. Um, and those are the things that we want to really focus on for the guest experience is making sure we drive that hyper local experience. And yeah. it's also important when you look at the data, I think, I think it's inherent, uh, psyche of the individual, right? What we find in data is that oftentimes, uh, people who are booking are more comfortable booking with women yep. than they are booking with men yep. for obvious reasons here. Um, and that women are oftentimes driving decision makers in the markets that we're in, in terms of where they're booking and, and how, you know, what, and how, how long they're staying and what, what they're paying and all those types of things. Yeah. Not to mention that, you know, we, we do want to brand ourselves as a human experience because when you walk into one of our homes, we want it to feel colorful and human and yeah. not this corporate branded thing. You're not going to ever see like a tech vester logo in any of our homes <laughs> yeah right you're going to see a hyper local experience and that's a big part of you know our partnership with airbnb is delivering that continuous experience to the guests on that platform and you know those are our guests as well right and those are things that you know get, get have us get up every morning and get really excited to go to work is delivering that type of positive experience yeah well one of the things i've been so impressed by is like you guys have some like really cool like crazy amenities you have like a, a slide like a slide like that's on, attached to like a bunk bed or something in, in like one of your properties and i i saw the photo um probably on social or something like that and i was like any kid that sees that is going to like, it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter where it is. They're going to want mom and dad to, to book that place for them. And it was just, it was such a brilliant like addition. And I'm, I, I feel like I've seen it a couple more times uh, since and folks just riffing off of you guys. But like, I, I love what your design team does. I love how you guys just come up with like these slightly like unexpected amenities to just throw into an otherwise like fairly normal single family home, which is um, which I guess that's a little bit of the tech fester like magic sauce. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit it on the head, right? Like our our business thesis is by middle of the road type single family homes um, and out revenue everybody else, mm, right. Yeah. You know, from, from an investment perspective, but how do we do that? It's the details on the inside. So the slide that you're talking about the first time we tried that, I mean, that property I think is going to outperform by like 70% plus, <laughs> right. Based on projections. And we were like, you know, we, we, we were curious why, and all we did was throw on that slide. And of course the design was great. Other amenities had had as well, but you know, the comments we get on that slide were, were you know, just insane uh, <laughs> and really positive. And so we're, we're actually in the middle of designing a slightly updated version of that for a new property in that same market that we're willing to test. So uh, I'll have to send you that photo when we do it. But to your point, it's about understanding. I think when you look at the short-term rental market, most people design short-term rentals based on what they want mm. because it's their home, mm. right? And that's a problem we believe in the industry is something we can capitalize on. 
we design a home and amenitize a home for the type of user or the type of avatar that's visiting this market, yeah. which sounds really obvious, yeah. right? But oftentimes, short-term rentals are not designed for the end user. They're designed for the owner, mm. right? And for us, that's something that we're able to kind of ignore and not even think about because while we are owners, we don't use our properties for the for the you know, for the, like, we're not taking a vacation there for a week, even though our investors, of course, can use these properties. Yeah. Um, the oftentimes they're investing for path of income and the experience and the hands-offness and the financial freedom and everything else that comes with it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think the model is, is, is spot on. It's super interesting. And I, I mean, I'm just, I'm really excited to, to see you guys continue to grow. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. I, I want to ask a couple questions around the the management model, right? Because we've seen we've seen management companies in the space try to kind of scale nationally, and it's it's been difficult, right? Like you think about like the Vacasas of the world, right? And they're not necessarily they don't necessarily have a, a great brand reputation from guests or or from or from hosts and, and property owners at, at this juncture. And not to knock on them, there there are others as well. But like I think it's been difficult. I don't think we've seen sort of a company be able to scale nationally and, and just like knock it out of the park, right? Where, you know, it, it's something to write home about. I, I'm curious about your model as as you guys continue to scale your 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 portfolio and you, and you manage. From, from what I have seen of your listings, again, like Sabrina's like the face, right? It doesn't look, it doesn't seem, unless I'm missing something, to, to the guest, like that there's any, the guest probably will never know what TechVestor is right unless they unless they do a ton of digging are you guys interested in building like a consumer facing brand at all like is that on is that on the roadmap how do you think that that'll like play out with with management as you grow your portfolio how are you guys wrestling with these questions that's a great question and that's a question we bring up quite a bit often um in fact this is our this week is our 2024 planning uh you know offsite so we'll be going quite a bit into that um, you know, today and in the past, we haven't been super interested in building the consumer side of the brand. Yeah. And the primary reason here is we think that there's an insane amount of value that OTAs bring to the host side, right? Yeah. Um, we believe Airbnb is an incredible value for hosts in terms of its what really it costs to acquire that customer, yeah. the protections that come with it, um, the platform, the reviews, the scalability, the natural platform effects that come with it. And so while there is a value in building a brand, I think a lot of people underestimate the costs and direction in businesses and the business need of developing a brand. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're not building something like like super unique, right? I, I know you've had a 
think you might have had Ben, you might have had Isaac on your show, or you know who I'm talking about, yeah. right? Um, you know, I've talked with Isaac, you know, plenty of times and, you know, great dude. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense why right? Isaac, for example, drives a lot of traffic to uh, his property, which is really like a mini resort. It's a destination, yeah. right? Uh, in a singular area, which can be branded on one social account and direct people there with a targeted hyper-local strategy. With ours, it's not so much the same, right? Yeah. Um, we have sporadic reach right across the country and it's not about the destination. It's about being significantly better than the competition. We're not out there developing tree houses yeah. or those types of things either. Yeah. So the consumer side is less important to us. Um, it's incredibly less important to really everyone else involved. And I think at some point when you have enough scale, you could certainly spin something up a lot easier yeah. because overnight you would have 400 properties that a community or someone on that list can choose from. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're hyper-focused on really where it's just top of funnel revenue, uh, guest experience, right? And, you know, brand building and consumer side is like building a whole other yeah. business, right? <laughs> um, it's a, it, you know, there's unit economics there that are completely different than what we do today. And, uh, you know, we're not venture-backed, yeah. right? We started this company with, um, you know, quarter million dollars, which I know is a lot of money. Uh, but we started this company with a quarter million dollars and grew it into an eight-figure business, right? Yeah. And it was for us, it was about sustainability, profitability, um, you know, not throwing money at problems, building technology, building automation, and really focusing on core drivers that add value to, to shareholders, but most importantly, drive value to the guests who are using and staying in our homes. Yeah. I, I'm really, really, really glad that you're, that you're saying this, Steve, because I do feel like there's a lot of like, there's a lot of narrative and, and conversation out there right now about the importance of like direct bookings and and building up a brand for yourself and how the OTAs are the enemy and you know it, it, it's funny because like when you think about the cost of of an OTA right and, and you just get you just get down to like the details and you think about the percentage that Airbnb for example is actually taking and yet they're the platform of discovery like they're they're man they are the communications tool like they like in any other sector that fee, whether it's five to fifteen percent, depending on kind of a variety of factors, whatever that fee ends up being, is just a fraction of like what you would spend if you were trying to do everything without without Airbnb. And I just I like that you said that because not enough. I think it's not it, it's not as sexy, quite frankly, to 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 say like, oh no, we just we're just gonna rely on the OTAs. It's it's much cooler to be like, no no no, like we're gonna build this next generation hospitality brand, and eighty percent of our bookings are direct, and you know blah 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 blah. And, um, and, and I don't think that there's enough real talk around like, yes, that absolutely can work if, again, you're committed to building a specific state type in a specific location, you are investing a crap ton of money into social to drive those direct bookings, great. If, if that is your path, wonderful. That's not necessarily the path that actually makes sense for most investors. So anyways, I, I just appreciate you taking the time to, to lay that all out. No, I mean, I completely agree, right? And, and I think you and I are well aware of the of the competitive landscape that exists in the world of short-term rentals, right? First of all, 90-some percent of, of hosts are independent, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you're, it's hard for you to do that. The average Airbnb host owns, you know, 1.5, 1.6 properties. It doesn't really make too much sense. Although if you have two locations in an area, maybe you start building up some socials. But you look at the competitive landscape of other companies who are trying to solve a somewhat similar problem, Companies like here, Summer, or Getaway, or Wander, or some of these other ones in the space, and they're all we're all different in yeah. our own ways. 
Um, but some of those are a lot more focused on building their brand, right? That next generation hospitality brand. And don't get me wrong, there's a ton of enterprise value if they can get it right. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, but I think it's about picking your battles, especially, you know, you know, in our case, I believe, and I don't want to speak for the others, I believe we're the only out of the ones that I just mentioned, the only non-VC backed um business. And when you're when you're VC backed, your goals are completely different than when you are VC backed, right? Yeah. You really have no options except to grow, really grow at all at, at all costs. And for us, we've never been positioned or wanted to be in a position where we have to grow yeah. um, unprofitably. Yeah, which uh, and I think um, I think you're right too. I think you guys are the only ones that are are not VC backed. That that is actually like a beautiful way into a beautiful segue into my next question for you, which is just around like yeah, how do you how do you think you're you guys are different? I think I, I've learned a little bit more about you guys already in this conversation that that highlights some of those differences. One being you're not necessarily trying to yeah uh, build a consumer facing brand you guys are quite reliant if not fully reliant on on OTAs at this particular juncture don't necessarily have plans at at this juncture to to really invest in direct booking strategies um and then do you guys have you, you you're the investor that you are acquiring um that that tech investor would be a good fit for can can you talk a little bit about who who that investor is yeah, definitely. So our ideal type of an investor, right, is usually someone, first and foremost, they have to be accredited, okay. right, from yep. a regulatory perspective. So they make $200,000 or more if they're single, $300,000 more if they're married, or they have a million dollar net worth, or basically some sort of um, justification from the accreditation rules, right? And so outside of that, they're usually a high net worth earner or uh, someone who's just a high income earner to begin with. Uh, they have an interest in real estate oftentimes is where they come from, right? They have an interest in investing in something. Yeah. Most people that I know and most of our, you know, I think we're over six, seven, eight hundred investors at this point across our, our portfolios, most of them don't type into Google, invest in a short-term rental Airbnb <laughs> fund. Okay. Right? It's yeah, not yeah. something that they know even exists. Mm. Usually it's more about I want to invest in real estate. I want to invest in something that's not the norm, yeah. right? What what if it's not the norm is could be equities, could be real estate, right? Um, you know, I think crypto brought a lot of, of interest into the alternative space. Right. Um, and just people are looking for different things to build different income streams. I think you had a lot of Airbnb interests and people who became uh, or interested going down the path of becoming an Airbnb owner, maybe discovered, wow, this is a lot more work than I thought. Yeah. So that's where a typical investor is going to be. It's usually someone who's coming from, you know, high income earning type job, right? Some W2. And they're like, great, this sounds like a good option for my portfolio. I'm going to throw 25 grand at it or 250 grand at it, and depending on my level of comfort and risk with where I'm at. Um, and I'm going to let you guys do the work and I'm going to get my distributions every single quarter and not do a single thing, right? Yeah. Not take on any of the risks. Not worry about the operational headaches. Not worry about the toilets. Not worry about the kid pissing on the wall at 3 a.m. Not worry about anything else that might happen. Um, and that's really what we do. Another thing that's pretty a big differentiator for us compared to some of these other platforms is we're one of the only ones that allows you to invest in a portfolio of diversified assets, mm. right? Across the country, which comes with geographical diversification, asset level diversification, diversification, traveler diversification. Um, you know, you don't have to take out any of the debt, right? You don't have to do any of the work. You just simply sign up, invest, and you're good to go. Yeah. So those are some of the differentiators when it comes for that type of investor who's working with us. And, you know, our average investor is coming to us with a you know, dollars $75,000 check size is their initial investment. Yeah. So they're obviously someone who, you know, this is usually not their first investment. Yep. 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 Now that makes a lot of sense. 
what's interesting is I, I think some of what some of the other folks are doing. Uh, I know that the folks at Summer are doing this. I think that folks at Getaway are, are, are doing this as well. I'm not sure if 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 um, the Wander team has has done this yet, but but basically they're they're taking a note of like the timeshare book, right? Of of you know enabling folks who are investors in their respective funds to to also have access to the fund inventory, right? And be able to go away for a week or two and stay at any you know Wander property or Getaway property, whatever it might be. Is is that has that sort of interest been expressed by your all's like investors, or or is that dynamic just not as present given the focus of of the portfolio? It's a great question. So in our first year, um, we got enough interest, or at least people reaching out asking about the question, um, that we actually launched owner saves mm. right as part of our as part of our offering and as part of our benefits. Now, the difference between owner stays with us and say any of these other member benefits of these other platforms, and I don't want to speak for them because I don't know the specific details. Yeah. But with us, you don't, you know, when you invest, you know, 50 grand, it's not like you get two nights free if you're choosing yeah, you know, every yeah. year. That's not how this works. It's yeah. not a timeshare. What you do get is if you want to go book that beautiful resort like property for you and your group, right? You know, on July 4th weekend, and that's something that you want to do and you want to book one of the properties that you're invested in, you can do so. Yeah. And you can book direct and, yeah. you know, you can save 10 to 30% off, right? Like there's obviously host fees and guest fees on both sides, typically when you go through an OTA. Uh, but this is almost feels like an owner block more than anything, yeah. right? Because these are people who are owners. That's what we do. We are very, very intimately focused on two things. And that's investor experience and guest experience. And investor experience does not include them staying at these homes. In fact, to be quite honest with you, I think less than 1% of our investors have ever stayed in any one of our homes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, it's not something we're very much corely focused on. And I think it's also goes back to our ethos that we're not dead set on building this consumer brand. Yep. Right. We are, in fact, quite ironically, and to compare this back to like, you know, take us, take you and I both back to like our high school days. We want to be the nerds that are misunderstood in the group. Right? We <laughs> yeah. want to be the ones who are like heads down, data analytics, numbers, right? Like working on the back end, delivering a great experience, and someone sees or uses our product and they're amazed at how this thing could work. Yeah. That's who we are in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense and, and is probably like where, at least for now, you all should be focused. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. As you, as you scale your portfolio, right? That, you know, whether it's 10 to 30% cut that the OTA takes, right? At, at some point, right? 
that that starts to be you know a, a larger number like can you see yourself like I, I guess what what would it take for you and the team to be like you know what we we do need to invest in some sort of like direct booking strategy just because we've we're at a scale now where where it actually like really really does make sense like do you see your, yourself you guys getting to a place like that or or from your perspective and just everything that you've learned about your priorities and what you guys are focused on right now, is that sort of like pretty far off? So when we think about margins, right, of OTA or non-OTA, right, we, we typically don't look at it at the 10 to 30% number. We typically look at it like, okay, it costs me 3% on the, on the host side to acquire, yeah, right, yeah. because we do know that the guest really is paying that fee on the other end. Yep. Um, and so it's a, you know, when you look at it that way, it, it kind of, it's hard to justify in many ways. When you look at it that you would be charging the same thing, right, or something a little bit smaller than what you'd be getting on an OTA. So you can essentially keep the guest side fee, yeah. right? Which is really what you're describing yeah. on most of these platforms. Yep. Then you have to ask yourself, are you providing the same thing or a similar thing than what these platforms also provide? Yeah. Right. So if I'm a consumer and I go through a platform like Airbnb, um, I get, you know, certain levels of protection, certain levels of verification, certain levels of insurance, there's a third party involved in the event that there's a dispute rather than going like one-to-one, -one, yep. right? Um, and you and I both know of the tons of horror stories we hear with Airbnbs and walking in and something's just not working or this amenity. And, you know, so you really get getting a lot more power to the host side rather than the guest side. And yeah. of course, while there's capitalism involved in there, and I'm, by all means, I'm a very capitalistic person yeah. uh, and have those views, I'm not sure that the value proposition is strong enough in the short term to focus there for either the guest or the host, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of value that platforms like Airbnb and Verbo and Booking.com have built by building those additional benefits, you know, kind of through their platforms. I think it's beyond just the fee. Uh, and here's the thing, here's another thing that I think a lot of people don't, you know, they they underestimate is there, there's costs to, to business payroll, yep. taking a direct booking, you know, uh, costs money, there's software behind the scenes, there's labor behind the scenes, yep. there's uh, custom integration behind the scenes, depending on what you're doing and how you're doing it. There's the lack of condensed reviews in a singular area that allow you to push up ranking. You know, it's, it's very similar how I describe it as, you know, Airbnb is like Google, Right. And I'm going to compare it to tech because that's where we come from primarily. But Airbnb is like Google. They have a there's a user journey that they want their users to take, which is they want them to land on Airbnb. They want them to enter where they want to go. And ultimately, they want them to book somewhere that uh, makes sense at the highest margin possible. And as a host, we know Airbnb's algorithm decently or have you know studied it enough to understand that things like ranking, like I, we were just looking in one of our markets and I think we had. 14 of the top 18 listings in that market, right? Wow. On page one yeah. of Airbnb, right? And so, you know, that's exactly like Google. How often do you go to page eight of Google? It just doesn't really happen. Yeah. And so there's a lot of value to that. And you don't see a lot of companies today trying to compete with Google. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for that. So it's not to say we never would. Uh, build a build a consumer brand. And, you know, we're in we're in talks right now and we've already even put down um, some capital and some investment into building out our own website of our properties. 
but it's more so of, of a portfolio that we're even considering to link back to Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily to actually accept direct bookings today, right? We have no interest today in this second to accept direct bookings because of that infrastructure cost. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's a very smart approach um, for the reasons that you laid out and given your all's, your all's objectives, it, it makes a lot of sense. Given your like entrepreneurial spirit and, and background, and again coming from tech proper, um, as you as you look at like the ecosystem, as you look at like the the space right now, like where do you see opportunity to to build new software or or a, you know a new management company or any sort of like gaps that you see in in the greater short term rental sphere that you think some entrepreneur who might be listening to this podcast should should consider solving yeah those are great questions um i think inherently speaking where we believe there's a lot of pain today right and you know i don't want to feed too much into this is because i don't believe it's true but you know recently there's been a lot of oh my god airbnb bust type yeah. mentality right yeah um and you and i both know that the data that that's coming from or the individuals spouting that data are not really understanding or that data well at all, or yep. else they wouldn't be seeing that data. Um, for us, we're like doing better than ever, you know, knock on wood. But for a lot of people who read that and some people who do, who are struggling because they have kind of a cookie cutter middle of the run and like really didn't do anything to their property to make a better type property are saying, hmm, how do I get more bookings? How do I get more revenue? And so where I think there's a gap in the market today, and speaking from experience, because I think this is one of the things we do arguably the best which is asset and revenue management. It's hmm. really a big thing that we do really well is a managed service. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people today there, they see it as, um, you know, really three options. There's a, I can do no dynamic pricing. There's two, there's option two or option B that I can go and just, you know, implement price labs or some tool like price labs. And, It'll tell me what to price yep. or option three. I can go to a property management company, yep. right? Who's going to hopefully do it better than I would and handle all these other things. I think there's a gap between option B and option C, hmm. right? I think that, you know, property management companies charging 25 or 30% compared to, you know, price level, which is costing you 20 bucks a month or less. And there's a Delta in between, yeah. right? Of yeah. You know, someone or a, a firm or a company or a tool, uh, or a service who can go in and say, Hey, we'll handle your revenue management and drive you 10, 20, 30% more bookings using our dynamic pricing strategies. And what we've learned intimately well by using a lot of dynamic pricing tools is they're great, but the knowledge of the individual driving it is the most important thing. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, they're just tools which are great for automation, but the like our head of revenue, Austin, you know, is fantastic at doing everything that he does. And without him, we wouldn't be doing nearly as well if we just implemented what the algorithm told us. Yep. yep. Right. Um, and so there's, there's the human, we believe there will be a shift back. And I think there's a space in this market and I'm not saying that we're not building it hint, hint potentially, or that we would consider doing it in the future. But yeah. I do think that there's an opportunity here for a managed service around revenue, around asset manager on pricing that yeah. is between 20 bucks a month price labs and paying a manager 30% of, of revenue, right? I think there's there's a gap there that a lot of DIY hosts would value yeah. because their property would be doing significantly better. Yeah, I that's a 
fantastic idea. And I, it's really funny that you mentioned this. I had a couple conversations just this week with people who are, who are trying to to figure that out and trying to figure out what what that looks like. Um, and these are individuals right now, uh, there that you know have a have a background in the industry. But I, but yeah, it seems like it seems like you guys are all kind of smelling smelling the same opportunity uh, in, in this space, which is is clearly you know indicative of of a need for it. Um, yeah, that that's great. I I think too one of the things that I'm most interested in is is seeing how how your model versus like the wonder model versus the getaway model, et cetera. How, I, I mean, for, you know, on the one hand, I think every, there, there's potential for every model to win, right? And, and work too. But, but I am really interested to see like, as the industry professionalizes more, what what is going to be the preferred path for like the the quote unquote like average investor right and and I and I I think the jury's still out there right I I really 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 do but it's it's super cool to hear your story to understand a little bit more about what you guys are doing at at Techfester and contrast that with you know some of the stories that folks have heard on this podcast of what Wander's up to and and what Getaway's up to we are going to do a, a special like panel discussion with with several of you in a few weeks so I'm super pumped about that to just kind of hear you guys get to riff off of each other and and explain how you overlap and 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 how you're different because I think our audience will will really appreciate that I think that there's everything is just so, so new, right? It's still so new. So it's kind of hard to understand where, where, if you, if you uh, meet these qualifications, where you, where you should, you know, put, put your money in and, and what, what companies and individuals you should, you should bet on. So Steve, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me and, and share a little bit more of, of your story. I'm, I'm super appreciative of your time. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Zach. I'm, I'm looking forward to that panel. Um, and I completely agree. I think that the, I actually think all companies that you mentioned, have a pathway to winning. And I think we can all win together and, you know, more professionalization of this space, I think is good for guests, hosts, and investors together. Wonderful. If there is somebody who's listening to this conversation and they are interested in investing in TechFester, is the easiest way for them to learn more just to head on over to your, your website or is there someone they should talk to or where would you want to send folks that want to learn more? Yeah, they can certainly head over to techfester.com. We have definitely as much information as we can legally put out on that site. Uh, but a good thing would be to hit that request invite button in the top right, talk to our team and see if it's a, if you see if it's a good fit for you and what you're looking to do. Wonderful, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks so much, Zach. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach. Z-A-C-H at Spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at Spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.